The race to 5G is a race America must win. I do think that the security of our telecom networks is paramount, especially as we emerge into a 5G environment. And do you want the, you know, the Chinese networks with Huawei gear touching your personal data? I know I don't. 5G technology is the future, and the future has arrived. You're listening to the 5 on 5G podcast brought to you by 5G Action Now. Hello, I'm Ian Pryor, and you are listening to the 5 on 5G podcast brought to you by 5G Action Now. It's our goal to bring listeners informative discussions with top policymakers and influencers in the 5G space. Today, our guest is Ryan Lovelace, political reporter from the Washington Times. Ryan has done a great job covering cyber threats from state actors and their agents. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So, you know, my first question here is a really broad one. We've obviously been following the, the rising China telecom threat, you know, specifically as it relates to the, uh, the race for 5G. In your reporting, what can you tell us about the threats we're seeing from the Chinese Communist Party as it relates to cyber activity? Uh, and why should people be concerned? Well, I think the uh, threat is really a whole of society threat. It's no longer just government versus government um, or more traditional militaristic threats. I think we've seen this particularly through China's Made in China 2025 plan, which is really an assault on American intellectual property. And the way Huawei enters into that is by trying to steal American innovation. You know, the Chinese Communist Party um, does have some capability to invent, but really the ability to steal innovation the kind of thing that has always separated America's free and fair and open economy is really the thing that they're trying to profit off of through stealing things, through surveillance, and through espionage. So what is, what is our government doing with respect to you know, Huawei, ZTE, and, and really the Chinese telecom threat here in the United States? Well, most recently in August, the Trump administration had just tightened some restrictions on Huawei. They added 38 different Huawei affiliates to the list um, that were going to be blocked under the foreign direct product rule of the export control law. And really all of that was about uh, alternative chip production. And it's kind of very down in the weeds, but the end consequence of it is Huawei has just recently in September said that they're going to start making the switch from Google's Android operating system to their own Harmony operating system. And it's the latest effort that the U.S. government has successfully done to push Huawei further into a corner where it's isolated. Um, but really, there is still a big disagreement internally in the government, I think, about the best way to combat Huawei, whether that's you know, singularly through trying to, you know, rip and replace some of the different things the Senate have done, going after their hardware, trying to come up with a competitor, or whether people need to start looking towards the sixth generation of wireless technology, or whether there's a software approach that can be the American uh, perspective can kind of take root and combat Huawei and go forward from there. So let's break that down for a second. Uh, first of all, rip and replace. You know, for those people that don't understand, you know, what rip and replace might mean, could you explain it a little more? Sure. So one of the big concerns that the American government has long had about Huawei has to do with specifically their hardware. And the difference in which the American government has approached this versus other Western countries is that the American government has largely not wanted Huawei uh, in the kind of American marketplace whatsoever at all. The European marketplace has been much more willing to accept a certain amount of 
uh, Huawei infiltration, so long as it didn't affect what they would determine to be the kind of core network, the core 5G network. They've later reversed course on that, I think in part, frankly, because of some of what we've seen during this coronavirus time period. But nevertheless, uh, the hardware issue is one that America has been steadfast on now for several years. And it's really about keeping uh, Huawei out of kind of the hardware infrastructure that we have. Now, the old guard, so to speak, people like Attorney General Bill Barr, who's a former Verizon executive, say there isn't really much to compete with the kind of hardware that Huawei has and their dominance in the 5G realm. He's looked to companies like Nokia and Ericsson, I believe he said back in March now, um, that those were really the only two that could compete with Huawei. But there are others in the US government, particularly in the intelligence community that think that the better long-term play is perhaps looking at different software-based options, looking at open radio access network capabilities and trying to develop something with the private sector that can be an open RAN, so to speak, approach, an alternative to hardware, where the American government can, in partnership with the private sector, come up with something that makes sure that the US government and the American people would never have to be relying upon anything that comes out of China, because that's really what the threat is here. And you had mentioned, you know, skipping ahead to sixth generation. So is the the idea that, well, China is is so far ahead in the race to 5G that maybe it makes sense for the United States to focus on 6G? I think that's part of it. I think it's a kind of a trajectory here. So, you know, I think a lot of people in America, in the United States government, were sort of caught by surprise at how quickly and effectively China was able to emerge as a dominant player in the 5G realm. And there's an emphasis now on we can't be caught flat-footed when we get to the 6G realm either. I was recently talking with the um, you know, first chief technology officer of the United States under the Obama administration, Anish Chopra. And one of the things he was emphasizing was their whole approach being, you know, critical infrastructure can no longer just be about roadways, railways, and runways. It's also got to be about kind of the information superhighway too now, right? And I think that's something that we've seen in the Trump administration a new emphasis on as well. While there hasn't been the kind of big infrastructure package that I think uh, both Republicans and Democrats had hoped for in the Congress, the executive branch has taken a lot of different steps to update and modernize some of the critical infrastructure we've seen in the earliest parts of 2020, even before the coronavirus outbreak shut everything down, there was a new counterintelligence strategy put out by the American government that placed an emphasis on the critical infrastructure involving a lot of the same issues that Huawei uh, is a threat to. We've seen the Justice Department take actions in recent years and its different public prosecutions um, that would combat the Made in China 2025 plan. And I think all of that goes to show that America is being responsive. America is responsive to the Made in China 2025 plan, that assault on American intellectual property and the 10 different targeted manufacturing sectors that China wants to dominate. And I think the people that are saying it's time to start looking at 6G are saying that particularly because they know that we can't afford to be in the same position once we get to that point in time. So I want to read from an article that, that you, just, um, you just posted on the Washington Times the other day. Quote, the Chinese group Zirconium attempted thousands of attacks from March to September, according to Microsoft, which yielded 150 compromised accounts. The Chinese cyber attackers, also known as Hurricane Panda, mainly focused on people closely associated with the presidential campaigns, including Mr. Biden's and at least one prominent individual formerly associated with the Trump administration, Mr. Burt said. 
Others targeted by the Chinese include several people in the International Affairs and Think Tank Center, including at places such as the Atlantic Council and Stimson Center, end quote. Super interesting article, uh, you know, especially when considering that China is really trying to build the world's future telecom infrastructure. How does Chinese dominance in, you know, in 5G right now and in 5G infrastructure threaten critical systems like elections, for example? It threatens it in many different ways. And one of the first ways in which is, is kind of on the periphery. So in mentioning the Atlantic Council and others that were affected by the hackers, a lot of people think that when it comes to elections and politics and campaigns, the only people that are being targeted are top officials, their people in government, and the rest of it. But oftentimes, the Chinese are looking for any way to gain access to a particular network. It can be a low-level intern at a think tank. It can be someone who's just started on a presidential campaign. So it's not just simply that the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, other bad actors are looking to affect the integrity of our elections by going after, say, voting machines or targeting voter registration rolls or any number of those things. It's also by launching coordinated influence campaigns. And we have seen that Huawei has a prioritization of its own influence campaign in the United States now for several years. They've got a well-stocked uh, lobbyist contingent here in Washington, D.C. They've run ads on digital social media platforms. And all of it is designed to change Americans' opinion about Huawei and to kind of muddy the waters so that people would be more open and receptive to it. I think what we've seen in the latest uh, election alerts put out both by the U.S. intelligence community, but also by the private sector folks like Microsoft and the one that you were just mentioning, um, the identification of zirconium and others that were affiliated with some of these attacks that Microsoft had discovered. What we're really seeing is that the level of intrusions and attempted intrusions is constant and it's not stopping. And I think that's something that because cyber attacks are more difficult to attribute and less likely to be discovered by everyday users, that it's something that slips the mind and I think it no longer can. So, you know, the last episode I had um, Department of Justice Assistant Attorney General for National Security, John Demers on. And, you know, we talked and he's, he's consistently talked about this, even from back when I was at, at Justice, about, you know, the difference between the Chinese threat and the Russian threat. And you know, the Russian threat is really just to sow chaos in, in the United States. Whereas the Chinese threat is, is about rising China. It's about you know, stealing economic information, um, intellectual property, you know, really building itself up through its you know, espionage activity and its cyber activity. Do you, do you agree with that? I think that's true. And I think it's something that as we as Americans haven't quite understood, but I think also that we've now come to better understand it through this coronavirus outbreak. We understood that China had an interest in pursuing the kind of digital infrastructure that would make them a leader and make other countries like America, like Western allies, dependent upon them for the foreseeable future. And that they also had that same interest in the biotech realm. Well, now I think we've seen why that's such a problem. And that's because of this coronavirus outbreak. I think we're going to see in the years to come, companies that are based in the United States increasingly become more reliant upon the United States and almost you know, the nationalism that's taken root in American politics is going to enter into the tech sector as well and the business sector where companies realize they can't afford to rely on authoritarian regimes, the Chinese Communist Party and others that don't share those same values. Because if you rely on those countries to weed in areas that involve things like medicine, health, telehealth, 
all of those sorts of things, as well as the digital communications realm, telecom, and other things that Americans are reliant upon both to communicate with one another, but also are reliant upon to ensure that they have open and fair and free speech, then I think there's a new threat that would emerge that isn't quite the same as previous threats that we've seen, be it from, you know, radical Islamic extremists or from more hostile, you know, Russian aggressors and the kind of old Cold War mentality. You know, the new Cold War that folks have talked about with China isn't the same as with Russia because we are in some ways dependent upon them and them on us. And I think that's something that in the years to come is really going to have a shaping effect on technology. And we've seen that recently with some of the developments surrounding TikTok and the kind of uh, things the Trump administration has done to try to force them into becoming further distanced from China. And I think that's a harbinger of things to come. So now, obviously, we're, we're you know, t- less than two months out from an election. We know what, President's Trump's po- what President Trump's policy is on 5G. We know what the FCC has done under Chairman Rajiv Pai. Um, they, you know, we have the, the Spectrum auction coming up in December, uh, which is certainly going to you know, help us in our race with China for 5G. Uh, the president's been very bullish on getting to 5G uh, deployment and development. What is the Biden um, policy, to the extent you know, towards Chinese telecom, Huawei, and the 5G race overall? I think the Biden policy is difficult to define, but if it's anything like what the Obama-Biden policy was, then we know that it's not going to necessarily take the threat as seriously as it could, because they didn't take the threat as seriously as many Americans would have wanted them to in the preceding eight years before the Trump administration to better combat Huawei and the Chinese Communist Party's dominance in the realm of 5G. I think there are many reasons uh, to be hopeful though. I think there is in the kind of critical infrastructure realm, a bipartisan consensus that the US government needs to act and needs to act now. We've seen Republicans and Democrats actually be able to work across the aisle, even with an election approaching, even with all the other economic issues and civil unrest going on when it comes to issues involving critical infrastructure that China is a player in and that Huawei is a direct threat in. We've seen Senator Rob Portman, for example, work with Senator Carper and others on issues involving China, particularly surrounding things like a national research cloud, which would allow the folks in the private sector and the big technology companies, people in the academic and research community and in the US government to both share and pool research in a relatively safe way, as as safe as they can come up with, to combat, but also combat the foreign threat, but at the same time protect their own innovation, their own intellectual property from China. And I think that's going to continue regardless of who the president is. But I think whether it's Trump or whether it's Biden is going to have a very big big effect on whether or not the American government is going to stand up to China or is going to look to placate them? So, you know, one last question for you, and feel free to be as, as forthcoming on this as, as you want or as, as little. Um, you know, you've, you've wrote, wrote some great articles in this space. What are you looking at now? You know, what can we expect to see over the next couple, couple of months from the Washington Times and, and your reporting specifically um, that would be interesting in this area? Well, I think there are a number of things, so I'd definitely say stay tuned. But one of the ones that I'm particularly watching is how what happened in 2016 changes what happens in 2020, particularly as it affects the election. 
you know, in 2016, we heard a lot about Russia, 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 that Russia was the major threat to elections. And what we saw was, as you were saying before, their aim was really to sow discord and chaos. And regardless of whether or not they're ever able to change uh, a voter registration role anyway, the perception that there is chaos is what they wanted and they got it. And I think in 2020, so many other bad actors have seen that Russia had success without really having to try necessarily very hard. And China has long taken a longer look and played the long game and so I think what you're going to see from us in the months to come is we're be keeping a very close eye on how exactly does China look to influence American politics? What is it doing in regard to the 2020 election? And I would say you should expect to see us stay on top of that. And I think you'll see us be able to kind of unearth some of the things that have gone on, both with China targeting the American government, but also the nonprofit sector and the private sector. All right, well, Ryan Lovelace from the Washington Times, thank you. This has been a great conversation. Um, we certainly look forward to continuing to follow your reporting on these, uh, these important and interesting issues involving China, telecom, um, and all things related to the threats that we're seeing from state actors overseas. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the 5 on 5G podcast brought to you by 5G Action Now. We'll talk again soon.